We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go. Episode 289 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Monday, April 11th, 2022. And very sadly, this is a Monday installment of the show off some horrendous news. Uh, the death of Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback and former Washington quarterback, Dwayne Haskins. Uh, we were all stunned. We were all shocked. Uh, just awful, tragic, brutally sad news on Saturday morning. Uh, I like for this podcast to be upbeat and energetic and fun. And, you know, there will be plenty of that as the show progresses. But no doubt there is a sadness to our conversation on this installment of the podcast of this Dwayne Haskins news. Uh, next segment, I'm going to react to his death, including the circumstances of his death. There is still so much that we don't know and that doesn't make sense. Uh, also, I'm going to talk about Dwayne's football career, but only the positives. Uh, I'm not going to spend a bunch of time harping on what went wrong for Dwayne with Washington. We don't need to be doing that. Uh, I want to actually talk about the good games that Dwayne had for Washington and the magical season that Dwayne had in 2018 as Ohio State starting quarterback. Uh, man, uh, you just never know in life, do you? I mean, this Dwayne Haskins news came out of nowhere. Uh, thoughts and prayers to Dwayne Haskins and his family. Uh, also on the show, I will discuss what else went on in our Washington, D.C. sports weekend. Uh, what was an awesome weekend for the Capitals. So the Caps concluded a really difficult stretch with wins in back-to-back -back games over the weekend. Saturday afternoon, a 6-3 win at the Pittsburgh Penguins. Sunday afternoon, a 4-2 win over the Boston Bruins at Capital One Arena. The list of things to like from the Caps in these games is rather lengthy, and that's a good thing. Uh, I will take you through that list. Tremendous job by the Caps over the weekend. Uh, I will talk Wizards, a tremendous job by them <laughs> over the weekend, although in a much different way, a tremendous tank job 
by the Wizards over the weekend. Uh, The NBA's 2021-2022 regular season now is done. Uh, The Wizards concluded their season by totally tanking their final two games of the season. Uh, The Wizards had so many of their key players out for these games. Bravo! Well done. Operation Ping Pong Bowls was well executed over the weekend via first a 114-92 loss to the New York Knicks at Capital One Arena on Friday night, and then a 124-108 loss at the Charlotte Hornets on Sunday afternoon. I'll discuss what went on with our Wiz over the weekend, and I'll talk Nationals and Orioles of their season opening series now being complete. Uh, The Nats lost three or four to the New York Mets at Nationals Park, although the last game was the win. A very nice 4-2 come-from-behind win on Sunday afternoon. There's a lot that I want to get into with the Nats. Uh, The O's, on the other hand, suffered a three-game sweep at the Tampa Bay Rays. Not much went well for the O's in this series. We did, though, have some significant Orioles news over the last few days. The team has brought back starting pitcher Matt Harvey on a minor league contract, although Harvey may be about to be hit with a major suspension. I'll explain. Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Uh, lots of feedback on the death of Dwayne Haskins. Tweet from TD, just devastating. So young with so much ahead of him. Uh, tweet from Jay Foster, RIP to Dwayne Haskins. Every parent's nightmare is to get that middle-of-the-night phone call. Football-wise, I felt like he would be a late bloomer as he matured. Sadly, we will never know. Uh, Yeah, you know, Dwayne Haskins was young enough and to me was talented enough to where him becoming something as an NFL quarterback was not unfathomable. You know, it was definitely an uphill climb, But Dwayne's biggest problem wasn't talent. He had talent. Uh, We did see him play well in a handful of games with Washington. I'm going to talk about those games next segment. Uh, Email from Stanley Evans. What's up, Goldie? Haskins' death brings me back to a player we all loved in Sean Taylor. Haskins obviously wasn't as beloved or wasn't as talented as Taylor was, but this still is as tragic as both Haskins' and Taylor were just 24 years old. What a sad story. Sure, a lot of us thought that Haskins was a bust and were glad that he was out of Washington, but all of that is irrelevant now. I just feel numb. I feel for his family and close friends. Uh, Yes, Stanley, you know, the parallels between Sean Taylor and Dwayne Haskins are kind of eerie, right? Each guy was a first-round pick of the Redskins. Each guy was a favorite of Dan Snyder. Each guy was just 24 years old at the time of his death. Uh, Each guy died in the state of Florida. Uh, Each guy was the victim in a homicide. Uh, Now, the homicides appear to have been quite different, but each technically was the victim in a homicide. At least for now, Dwayne Haskins' death is being investigated as a traffic homicide. Uh, Email from Jim D. Subject Simba, writes Jim, I don't even know what to say regardless of what he did on the field. You know that he was just a guy trying to make it in this messed up world. He was a good dude, wasn't much older than I am. Wow. Thanks for all you do for the DMV sports community. Take care of yourself. Uh, Thank you, Jim. Uh, You take care too. Well, it's cliche, but it is true. Life is short. Uh, We should all take care of ourselves, including when it comes to something 
like skin cancer. Uh, skin cancer is among the most common of all cancers in the United States, but skin cancer also is among the most curable forms of cancer. Get checked, get screened, and someone who very much can help you with that is Dr. George Verghese. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist at Mohs Surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He is a big fan of the Commanders. He is a loyal listener of this podcast. And operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland diagnoses and treats a broad range of acute and chronic skin conditions, including skin cancer. In fact, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer free skin cancer screenings and offer state-of-the-art treatments for skin cancer. Uh, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are the DMV's number one outlet for Mohs Skin Cancer Surgery and for Superficial Radiation Therapy, or SRT, which is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. You won't find better, more state-of-the-art, or more comprehensive skin treatment and services than what you get from Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Early detection and treatment of skin cancer save lives. If you have questions or concerns about your skin, call Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland at 301 396 3401. That's 301-396-3401. You can also visit MidAtlanticSkin.com. That's MidAtlanticSkin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. All right. Uh, I want to begin our full-fledged Dwayne Haskins conversation by saying something that should go without saying, but I'll say it anyway. What happened with Dwayne as a Washington quarterback is not relevant to his death. Uh, Dwayne Haskins was just 24 years old. He was a husband. He was a brother. He was a son. His death is an unbelievably horrific tragedy that he ended up not even lasting two full seasons with Washington off Dan Snyder having forced the selection of Dwayne with the number 15 pick in the 2019 NFL draft, that there were work ethic issues for Dwayne with Washington, that his play on the field for Washington wasn't good enough. None of that matters, okay? Dwayne Haskins was a human being like the rest of us. Uh, yes, he was flawed, but so are all of us. And nobody with a heart ever wished for bad things to happen to Dwayne. Uh, this was awful, what happened on Saturday. Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback and former Washington quarterback Dwayne Haskins killed early Saturday morning. Just saying that feels surreal. Uh, just so you know, I'm not going to spend any time this segment harping on what went wrong for Dwayne Haskins with Washington. Uh, now is not the time for that. Uh, we all know what happened by now anyway, but you know, there was way too much negativity on Saturday 
with Dwayne Haskins. First off, would ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter initially tweeted about Dwayne's death. Schefter tweeted, quote, Dwayne Haskins, a standout at Ohio State before struggling to catch on with Washington and Pittsburgh in the NFL, died this morning when he got hit by a car in South Florida per his agent, Cedric Saunders. Haskins would have turned 25 years old on May 3rd. End quote. So Schefter in the tweet unnecessarily brought up Dwayne's NFL struggles, also phrased the struggles in an odd way, saying that Dwayne had uh, been struggling to catch on with Washington and Pittsburgh. Uh, Like, catch on suggests that he had trouble finding a job. He never had trouble finding a job. He had trouble playing well with Washington anyway, but like catching on would imply, well, he couldn't catch on with NFL teams. Like, no, he was with Washington and then he was a free agent for a while, but then he ended up signing a deal with the Steelers. Uh, Anyway, That was not a good tweet from Adam Schefter. It seemed to me like Schefter was trying to write the tweet like you write the lead in an obituary. You know, this is a tweet, man, okay? This isn't an article for the Associated Press. You're allowed to show some humanity in a tweet. And then Schefter deleted the tweet and put out a different tweet, and so he got hammered for that. And then we had what we had with Gil Brandt on Sirius XM NFL Radio basically trashing Dwayne. As a person, I mean, the guy just died that morning and you're slamming him as a human being later in the day. Gil Brandt was the vice president of player personnel for the Dallas Cowboys from 1960 to 1989. Gil Brandt, by the way, now is 90 and he has had health problems. What he said about Dwayne was bad, but I also would add that maybe he at 90 with health problems should not be given the form uh, that he's being given. Uh, Anyway, I'm not going to add to the Dwayne Haskins negativity. I'm actually going to focus on the good things from Dwayne Haskins' football career. But before that, like many, if not most of you listening, it has been difficult for me to get past the circumstances of Dwayne's death. The circumstances are horrendous and mystifying. So Dwayne died early Saturday morning due to being struck by a dump truck while he was walking on a South Florida highway. Uh, This is believed to have happened around 6.40 Saturday morning. What we initially heard about the death was what Adam Schefter tweeted, that Dwayne got hit by a car early Saturday morning. Uh, Now, that description suggested a variety of possibilities, including Dwayne having been hit by a car in, say, a neighborhood, you know, like he was out for an early morning jog or walk and got hit by a reckless driver or a driver under the influence, something like that. No. Uh, What happened was Dwayne was struck by a dump truck while he was walking on a South Florida highway. Said Florida Highway Patrol spokesperson Lieutenant Indiana Miranda on Saturday in a statement, quote, he was attempting to cross the westbound lanes of Interstate 595 when there was oncoming traffic, end quote. She also said that the incident is, quote, an open traffic homicide investigation, end quote. Dwayne was training in South Florida with other Steelers quarterbacks, running backs, and receivers. But the obvious question is, why in the world was Dwayne attempting to cross an interstate in the midst of oncoming traffic? I mean, that clearly is not normal. That clearly is not something that most people do. 
And even if the driver of the dump truck ends up being guilty of some crime, that Dwayne was attempting to cross an interstate in the midst of oncoming traffic, to me, is a frightening and disturbing thought. Now, obviously, we need to wait until the facts come out. But a logical thing to wonder, again, is why was Dwayne doing this? And there are many possible answers to that question. Some of the answers are gut-wrenchingly sad, including the thought that Dwayne may have intentionally been crossing an interstate in the midst of oncoming traffic. In other words, he wanted to get hit by a vehicle. Uh, we don't know, okay? We just do not know. So my thoughts and prayers are with Dwayne and his family. Uh, I know that many of you feel the same way, and we'll see what the facts end up being. I mean, again, a lot of possibilities. But, you know, when it comes to why Dwayne was crossing an interstate in the midst of oncoming traffic, it is possible that we'll never get a clear answer. Uh, the reaction to Dwayne Haskins' death really was something. Uh, there was an avalanche of support for Dwayne and his family and of affection for Dwayne uh, that was impressive, including from the commanders. Uh, you know, Dwayne obviously was a stealer at the time of his death, but his death did very much feel like a death for the commanders. Uh, commander said Coach Rod Rivera issued a statement on Saturday, quote, I'm absolutely heartbroken to hear the news of the passing of Dwayne Haskins Jr. Dwayne was a talented young man who had a long life ahead of him. This is a very sad time, and I am honestly at a loss for words. I know I speak for the rest of our team in saying he will be sorely missed. Our entire team is sending our heartfelt condolences and thoughts and prayers to the Haskins family at this time. End quote. Uh, Commander's owners and CEOs Dan and Tanya Snyder issued a statement on Saturday. Quote, we are devastated to hear the news of the tragic passing of Dwayne Haskins Jr. He was a young man with a tremendous amount of potential who had an infectious personality. To say we are heartbroken is an understatement. Our hearts and prayers are with the members of Dwayne's family and all of those who knew and loved him. End quote. Uh, but to me, the most moving commander's statement or tribute to Dwayne Haskins came from commander's receiver Terry McLaurin, uh, who of course played with Dwayne with not just Washington, but also Ohio State. And Terry was taken in the same draft in which the Redskins took Dwayne. Uh, the Skins in the 2019 draft took Dwayne with the number 15 pick and took Terry in the third round. Uh, Terry on Saturday night posted the following statement on Twitter, quote, devastated is the only word I can come up with right now. Dwayne always had a smile on his face and had a personality that was one of one. We talked the night we both were drafted about how hopeful we were for our futures and how excited we were to be able to play and compete together again. I thank God for the memories we shared and the conversations we had. I'll miss those so much. He was a man trying to become the best version of himself, just like we all are. He was excited to continue to compete for his dream, and I know as well as those closest to him that his best years on and off the field were ahead of him. He was more than a phenomenal football player who could spin it like I have never seen to this day. He was a guy who wanted to see the ones around him win and have success. He was a man of God and spoke of his faith quite often. A beloved son, brother, husband, friend, and teammate. I'm heartbroken and pray he knew how much he was loved, how much I loved him. I would have given anything to see him win. 
His legacy on this earth will forever be felt because of the way he lived life and the way he impacted everyone he came in contact with. Until we meet again, brother, save a spot for me in that big end zone in the sky where we will celebrate again one day. End quote. Uh, powerful stuff right there from Terry McLaurin on Dwayne Haskins. Heck, did you see the video from Chase Claypool? Pittsburgh Steelers receiver Chase Claypool on Saturday evening on Twitter posted a video of him talking about Dwayne's death and crying. Uh, like I said, the reaction to Dwayne Haskins' death really was something. And the reaction is a testament to the impact that Dwayne had on people. So let's talk about the best of Dwayne Haskins as a quarterback, because that's how most of us best knew him as a quarterback. Uh, we all know that Dwayne did not work out as a Washington quarterback. Uh, we all know why Dwayne did not work out as a Washington quarterback. You know, he was not a bad person. Uh, he was immature. And that immaturity manifested itself in a lack of work ethic, and his play on the field was not good enough to compensate for the lack of work ethic. But what I want to highlight of Dwayne's death are the positives of his football career, both professionally and collegiately. Uh, let's start with Dwayne with Washington. What's easy to forget, given how his tenure with Washington ended, is that Dwayne, over his final two games in his 2019 rookie season and in week one of the 2020 season, played quite well. Uh, those three games offered hope and were why some of us, including myself, thought that Dwayne could work out as a Washington quarterback. Uh, December 15th, 2019, uh, the Redskins fell to 3-11 and 11, with a 37-27 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field. Dwayne Haskins in this game was terrific. Uh, he went 19-28 for 261 yards. That works out to 9.32 yards per pass attempt. He had two touchdown passes versus no interceptions. He took just one sack. He had three carries for 26 yards, including a huge running play, uh, a third and one 23-yard offset eye run on a speed option play on the next to last play of the third quarter. He quarterbacked a Redskins offense that went 4-10 on third downs. He registered a total QBR per ESPN of 58.4. And then the next week, December 22nd, 2019, the Redskins overcame a 35-21 fourth quarter deficit, but it fell to 3-12 and clinched last place in the NFC East with a 41-35 overtime loss to the New York Giants at FedEx Field. Dwayne Haskins for a second consecutive game looked great. Uh, the problem was that he got knocked out of the game. He uh, suffered a left ankle injury on the second overall play of the second half. But Dwayne began the game on fire. Dwayne began the game 10 of 10 for 121 yards and two touchdowns. Dwayne finished the game 12 of 15 for 133 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. He was sacked twice. He registered a total QBR per ESPN of 92.8, which is exceptional. So Dwayne looked quite good over his final two games in his 2019 rookie season. Then came the hiring of Ron Rivera as head coach in January 2020. Dwayne began the 2020 season as Washington's starting quarterback. We know that that did not end up going well, but that actually did start off well. September 13th, 2020, the Washington football team overcame a 17-0 second quarter deficit in a 27-17 win over the Philadelphia Eagles. 
at FedEx Field. Uh, Dwayne Haskins in this game started off poorly, but then surged. Dwayne, over Washington's first six offensive drives, went just three of 12 for 32 yards. But Dwayne, over the rest of the game, went 14 of 19 for 146 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Dwayne committed no turnovers the entire game. And Ron Rivera, during his postgame press conference, revealed that Dwayne had given an inspirational halftime speech. Again, it's easy to forget this stuff with how things ultimately went with Dwayne with Washington, but for a while, there was hope for Dwayne with Washington. I know that I had that hope. Dwayne Haskins had talent. You know, his biggest problem with Washington was not a lack of talent, and he did have some good games for Washington. And then there's Dwayne Haskins' 2018 season at Ohio State. Uh, So Dwayne was the Buckeye starting quarterback for just one season, the 2018 season. But the season is one of the best seasons by a quarterback in Big Ten history. Uh, Dwayne, for the 2018 college football season, led the FBS with 50 touchdown passes. Okay. Now, I know that in this day and age, a lot of college quarterbacks put up video game numbers, but 50 touchdown passes for a quarterback in a college football season remains rarefied air. Dwayne Haskins for the 2018 season had 50 touchdown passes versus just eight interceptions. Dwayne for the 2018 college football season also finished number one in the FBS in passing yards, 4,831. Number four among qualified quarterbacks in the FBS in completion percentage at 70. Number five among qualified quarterbacks in the FBS in total QBR per ESPN at 84.8. Number eight among qualified quarterbacks in the FBS in yards per pass attempt at 9.06. And, you know, Dwayne in 2018 didn't just pad his stats against Patsy's. Dwayne had some big performances in big games. Uh, Dwayne in an Ohio State 62-39 evisceration of arch-rival Michigan on November 24, 2018, went 20-31 for 396 yards, six touchdowns, and no interceptions. And know that Michigan in 2018 had one of the best defenses in the country. Michigan finished the 2018 season number seven in the FBS in defensive efficiency per ESPN, and yet Dwayne Haskins carved up that Michigan defense to the tune of 396 passing yards, six touchdown passes, and no interceptions. Uh, Dwayne in Ohio State's 45-24 win over Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship game at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis on December 1st, 2018, 34-41 for 499 yards five touchdowns, and an interception. Northwestern, for the 2018 season, had a good defense. Northwestern finished the 2018 season number 25 in the FBS in defensive efficiency per ESPN, and yet Dwayne carved up that Northwestern defense to the tune of 499 passing yards, five touchdown passes versus one interception. You know, a game that I'll never forget is Maryland's 52-51 overtime loss. Ohio State in College Park on November 17th, 2018. Dwayne Haskins in that game was a monster. Uh, Dwayne in that game, 28 of 38 
for 405 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. And he had three rushing touchdowns. Uh, Also in that game, by the way, was Terry McLaurin having a big game. Four receptions for 118 yards and a touchdown. If you are a Maryland fan, as am I, uh, you likely remember this game. This was some game. The game ended on a failed two-point conversion try by the Terrapins. Their quarterback at the time, Terrell Pigram, horribly missed a wide-open receiver and Jay Sean Jones by throwing wide on a shotgun sprint-out pass with the Terps down 52-51 in overtime. Uh, The Terrapins interim head coach, Matt Canada, had opted to go for the win instead of the tie. Uh, So he went for two instead of attempting an extra point, and uh, Maryland ended up losing the game by one. Uh, So Dwayne Haskins' football legacy isn't just him not working out as an NFL quarterback. You know, like there's more to Dwayne Haskins' football legacy than just that. There's a lot more to his football career than just his struggles with Washington. Uh, Another thing with the death of Dwayne Haskins is that he had major ties to the Washington, D.C. area prior to playing for Washington. Uh, Dwayne was born in New Jersey, but went to Bullet School in Potomac, Maryland from 2013 to 2016. He became a major high school football star in the area. Uh, Dwayne originally committed to Maryland, but he, in January 2016, switched his commitment from Maryland to Ohio State. There's a lot that went into that. Part of what went into that was Randy Edsel having been fired as Terps head coach in October 2015. It's funny looking back on some of this stuff, right? Like nobody had a problem with the Terps firing Randy Edsel, but the Terps firing Randy Edsel uh, played a sizable role in Dwayne Haskins decommitting to Maryland and uh, him ending up going to Ohio State. And there's also this. So as you may recall, Dwayne did not attend the 2019 NFL draft. You remember what he did? Uh, He held a draft party and he held that party at a bowling alley near his home in Gaithersburg, Maryland. So there very much was a DMV flavor to Dwayne Haskins, even though, like I said, he was born in New Jersey. Uh, His death on Saturday, though, hit close to home, you know, figuratively and literally for a lot of people. Well, what happened to Dwayne Haskins was awful, okay? There's no getting around that. Uh, We certainly hope to find out more about why what happened happened. Uh, We certainly hope that none of you listening ever have to deal with something like what Dwayne's family is dealing with right now. But know this, the law firm of Paulson and Nace is always there for you. Uh, Have you been wronged? Paulson and Nace can help your family make difficult decisions. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C., and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, or if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a a no-obligation appointment, yet you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Make sure that you mention 
my name, Al Galdi. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. So, no doubt, it was a very sad sports weekend in the Washington, D.C. area, given what happened with Dwayne Haskins. But in terms of game results, uh, it was a terrific weekend for the Capitals, who now have concluded a three-game stretch against teams above the Caps in the Eastern Conference standings. And the Caps won all three of those games in regulation. Last Wednesday night, a 4-3 win over the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning at Capital One Arena. Saturday afternoon, a 6-3 win at the Pittsburgh Penguins. And Sunday afternoon, a 4-2 win over the Boston Bruins at Capital One Arena. Uh, What a job by the Caps in winning these three games against these three teams, especially considering A, that the Caps won the game over the Bruins on Sunday afternoon, despite the game being the second game of a back-to-back, and B, that the Caps prior to this three-game stretch had been brutal in each of their previous two games. March 28th, a 6-1 loss to the Metropolitan Division-leading Carolina Hurricanes at Capital One Arena. April 3rd, a 5-1 loss to the Minnesota Wild at Capital One Arena. So the Caps have bounced back here over these last three games against three good teams. Uh, The Caps this season now are 40-22-10 and have 90 points. Uh, The Caps are five points behind the Bruins for the top wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference. The Caps are 15 points ahead of the New York Islanders for the second wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference. The top two wildcard teams in each conference will make the Stanley Cup playoffs. So the Caps are a virtual lock to make the playoffs. I mean, 15 points ahead of the Islanders. Caps have 10 regular season games left. The Islanders have 11. But also for the Caps now is them creeping up the Metropolitan Division standings. The Caps are just four points behind the Penguins for third in the Metro. And speaking of the Caps in the Metro, how about this? That Caps win at the Penguins on Saturday afternoon improved the Caps this season to 15-6-1 in games against Metropolitan division opponents. I mean, that is outstanding. The Caps are 15-6-1 in games against Metropolitan Division opponents this season. The Caps have been excellent in intra-division games this season. A tremendous work by the Caps over the weekend. The 6-3 win at the Penguins on Saturday afternoon. You know, the Penguins before the game held a moment of silence for Dwayne Haskins. Uh, The Caps overcame a 3-2 second period deficit and scored the game's final four goals. The 4-2 win over the Bruins at Capital One Arena on Sunday afternoon. The Caps prior to the game held a moment of silence for Dwayne Haskins, and the Caps overcame a 2-1 second period deficit by scoring the game's final three goals. So a lot of parallels with these two games for the Caps over the weekend. A good weekend for, yes, Alex Ovechkin. Uh, He and the win at the Penguins on Saturday afternoon had a second period power play goal. Uh, Despite finishing the game with just two shots on goal and just three shot attempts, and then Ovi in the win over the Bruins at Capital One Arena on Sunday afternoon had a third period even strength empty net goal a game-high six shots on goal, a game-high tying nine shot attempts 
and a game-high seven hits. I mean, the physicality of Ovechkin, I don't think, can ever get enough praise. This guy is not just, you know, some namby-pamby goal scorer, okay? He's not just some fancy-pants goal scorer. The guy is physical. The guy is willing to mix it up, and he's been remarkably durable in his career. So, really good game for Alex Ovechkin on Sunday afternoon. But going back to the goal, so it was an empty net goal, right? But it also was Ovechkin's 45th goal of the season, breaking a tie with Gordie Howe for the second most goals by a player age 36 or older in a regular season in NHL history. And with the goal being an empty net goal, uh, the goal was Ovechkin's ninth empty net goal of the season. Do you know that that ties the NHL single season record for most empty net goals in a regular season? Uh, Ovechkin on Sunday tied Pavel Bure's nine empty net goals in the 1999-2000 regular season for most empty net goals in a single regular season in NHL history. I'm not sure what it means when you have a bunch of empty net goals. I mean, that's not really a function of skill, although Bure was a very skilled player. Ovechkin is a very skilled player, so I don't know. Maybe scoring empty net goals is more of a function of skill than we think. Uh, But anyway, Ovechkin productive again over the weekend. A great weekend for Tom Wilson. Heck, a great season for Tom Wilson. A Wilson in the win at the Penguins on Saturday afternoon, a third period even strength goal, a primary assist and eight hits. And Wilson in the win over the Bruins at Capital One Arena on Sunday afternoon had a second period even strength goal and a game best plus minus rating of plus three. And Wilson Her natural stat trick was number two on the Caps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game at 70.59. The Caps with Wilson on the ice in five-on-five situations in the game had 12 shot attempts versus allowing just five shot attempts. Uh, Wilson this season now has a career-best 50 points, 23 goals, and 27 assists. This has been the case for a while with Tom Wilson, but he is so far more than just, you know, some goon or just some guy who gets into a lot of fights. Uh, Tom Wilson is a skilled offensive player, and the guy now has a 50-point regular season. Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his postgame press conference on Sunday on Tom Wilson. He's been really strong um, the entire year. I know he's on a good run right now. I think that happens. There's you know, there's the really good moments through the course of a year, and then there's some plateaus or whatever. But he's, you know, he's been pretty consistent with the way he plays the game. He puts a lot, he puts a lot of work into his game, a lot of energy, a lot of passion, and um, you know, he gets rewarded by uh, doing the right things, going at the net, driving wide on somebody. I mean, he's he does it all for us. Um, but it's nice to see him get rewarded with some points and have a year like he's having. So Alex Ovechkin, very good over the weekend. Tom Wilson, very good over the weekend. Defenseman John Carlson, very good over the weekend. Carlson now has three consecutive multi-point games. Uh, Carlson in the win at the Penguins on Saturday afternoon, two assists, and four shots on goal. Carlson in the win over the Bruins at Capital One Arena on Sunday afternoon, a second period even strength goal, a secondary assist, and four shots on goal. Uh, Lars Eller 
on Sunday afternoon had a multi-point game. He had a third period, even strength goal, and a primary assist. The Caps' goaltending over the weekend was solid. Uh, Ilya Samsonov in the win at the Penguins on Saturday afternoon was the Caps' starting goaltender for a second consecutive game. And, you know, look, he did his usual thing of giving up at least three goals, but he only gave up three goals. So, hey, we'll take that with Ilya. Uh, he stopped 29 of the 32 shots on goal that he faced. Uh, Samsonov, per natural stat trick, stopped nine of the 11 high danger shots on goal that he faced. Did give up a goal on a low danger shot on goal. You know, the puck possession battle for this game was really interesting. The camps, per natural stat trick, had 52 five-on-five shot attempts to the Penguins' 59, but the Caps finished with 45 shots on goal to the Penguins' 32. Uh, A reason? The Caps totaled 20 black shots to the Penguins' 11. Uh, The Caps' 45 shots on goal marked the Caps' most shots on goal in a regulation game so far this season. And then Vitek Vanacek in the win over the Bruins at Capital Win Arena on Sunday afternoon was the Caps starting goaltender for the first time in three games. And Vanacek was good for the first time in three games for him. Uh, He stopped 28 of the 30 shots on goal that he faced off having been really bad in each of his previous two games. Uh, We know that the Caps goaltending competition is back on, so Vanacek needed a quality performance on Sunday afternoon, and he provided a quality performance on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Vanacek, per natural stat trick, stopped 11 of the 12 high-danger shots on goal that he faced, did give up a goal on a low-danger shot on goal, but also was helped out very much by those in front of him. So the Caps on Sunday afternoon per natural stat trick had just 42 five-on-five shot attempts to the Bruins' 57, including just nine five-on-five high-danger shot attempts to the Bruins' 19. So I guess from that perspective, you could say that Vanacek wasn't helped out a ton by those in front of him. But uh, the Caps finished the game with 33 shots on goal to the Bruins' 30. So the Caps were minus 15 in the five-on-five shot attempt department per natural stat trick, but were plus three in the shots on goal department. Why? Well, the Caps for a second consecutive game excelled when it came to blocking shots. The Caps on Sunday afternoon had 25 block shots. Uh, Defenseman Justin Schultz led the Caps with five block shots. So the Caps over their two games this past weekend totaled 45 block shots. Uh, We know that block shots are a big deal in the Stanley Cup playoffs. The Caps were in Stanley Cup playoff form in terms of blocking shots over the weekend. And the Caps goaltending being solid and the Caps blocking a bunch of shots, uh, both of those things were part of the Caps penalty kill continuing to be great here lately. The Caps on Saturday afternoon went 3-3 on the penalty kill. The Caps on Sunday afternoon went 4-4 on the penalty kill. The Caps now are 19-20 of over their last 20 penalty kill opportunities. Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Sunday on the Caps surging penalty kill. Yeah, I think penalty kill is exactly what you know we're talking about. It's all, it's all the little things. It's the, the details of how you execute the system. It's when to be smart with your reads. It's when to be aggressive. It's blocking shots. It's um, you know, defending the neutral zone. There's a lot of different things that go into it. It's the, the small things on a penalty kill that can make it successful. 
Yeah, and keep in mind that the Caps' penalty kill is thriving right now despite a key penalty killer in Carl Hagelin continuing to be out. Uh, Hagelin remains out indefinitely of having undergone left eye surgery on March 1st for an injury that he suffered in practice earlier that day. Also still out for the Caps is forward Joe Snively due to a left wrist injury. The Caps on March 6th announced that Snively had undergone a left wrist procedure and would be out four to six weeks. Uh, Ford Garnett Hathaway on Saturday afternoon did return from a one-game absence caused by a non-COVID illness. Uh, Ford Connor Sheary missed the win at the Penguins on Saturday afternoon due to a non-COVID illness, but he was back playing in the win over the Bruins at Capital One Arena on Sunday afternoon. Also, the Caps were incredibly physical over the weekend. Uh, the Caps on Saturday afternoon finished with 39 hits. Defenseman Martin Fehervari had a third period, even strength, empty net goal, and a game high nine hits. And the Caps on Sunday afternoon totaled a season high 45 hits. So the Caps over these two games over the weekend uh, combined 45 block shots and a combined 84 hits. Just a lot to like from the Caps right now. Next up for the Caps, home to the Philadelphia Flyers. Tuesday night at 7. And up next on the show, I'll talk Wizards. Uh, The NBA's 2021-2022 regular season is over, and thus the Wizards season is over. I have some thoughts on how the Wizards season ended. Quite the tank job over the weekend. Uh, I'll give those thoughts to you straight ahead. Uh, Also still to come, lots on the Nationals and Orioles season opening series. All right, so we're all busy and we're all dealing with inflation, but we all need to eat and we all want to eat food that tastes good and is good for you. And so that's why you should try HelloFresh. HelloFresh is great. Uh, With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your home and at an affordable price. Ingredients travel from the farm to your doorstep in under a week, so they always arrive fresh, all without a trip to the grocery store or to the farmer's market. You see, HelloFresh is all about convenience. Not only do the ingredients come pre-portioned so you're not overbuying or wasting food, but HelloFresh makes it easy to get filling meals on the table quickly. So stop wasting your time worrying about when you're going to buy food and what you're going to buy and what you should make and what the kids will eat. Try HelloFresh. We've tried HelloFresh and we love it. Uh, Just this month, we've had saucy pork burrito bowls, Italian chicken, and Southwest beef with pasta. All of it has been outstanding and healthy. And my four-year-old son, who never wants to eat what we give him, eats HelloFresh. That's the ultimate endorsement. Trust me. Also, HelloFresh will work with you. You can pick your favorite meals from 50 different weekly options. You can customize meals. You can skip weeks when needed. You can change your delivery date all on the HelloFresh app. So here's what you do. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16 and use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. One more time, HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. All right. So the NBA's 2021-2022 regular season ended on Sunday. That means that our Wizards 2021 2022 season is done. And let me commend the Wizards for properly tanking their final two games of the season. Oh, the Wizards will never admit to this, nor should they admit to this, but the Wizards did all that they could in terms of reasonable player availability to ensure that the team lost its final two games of the season. Friday night, a 114-92 loss to the New York Knicks at Capital One Arena. The Wizards entered this game with the exact same record as the Knicks had in the 2021-2022 regular season. Each team went into this game 35-45. and And so <laughs> there is no way that so many key Wizards did not play in this game due to coincidence. Kristaps Porzingis did not play in this game due to right knee injury maintenance. Kentavious Caldwell-Pope did not play in this game due to rest. Kyle Kuzma did not play in this game. What was a 12th consecutive missed game for him due to right knee tendonitis. And Bradley Beal remained out as he has been out for months, uh, out for the rest of the regular season due to a torn ligament in his left wrist on which he underwent surgery on February 10th. So you for this game 
a game that began with the Wizards and the Knicks, each having the same record of 35 and 45, had arguably slash probably the Wizards' four best players all out in Bradley Beal, Chris Dapps Porzingis, Kyle Kuzma, and Kentavious Caldwell Pope. I mean, what a coincidence, right? Porzingis and KCP magically out for this game, in addition to Kuzma continuing to be out with Beal long since out. What are the odds? A total tank job by the Wizards in terms of player availability. And you could argue that the Wizards' actual play in the game was a total tank job, although knowing what we know about the Wizards, their performance in this game also was just how they played this season. Uh, The Wizards began the game on a 10-0 run, but then got outscored by 32 points the rest of the game, 114-82. And then came the Wizards' season finale. Uh, The Wizards concluded a 35-47-2021-2022 regular season with a 124 108 loss at the Charlotte Hornets on Sunday afternoon as, once again, a bunch of key Wizards players were out. Chris Stamps Porzingis did not play for a second consecutive game due to right knee injury maintenance. Kentavious Caldwell-Pope did not play for a second consecutive game due to rest. Kyle Kuzma did not play for a 13th consecutive game due to his right knee tendonitis. Bradley Beal remained out, and Thomas Bryant did not play due to lower back tightness. Oh, my back. Uh, Although Bryant had barely been playing for weeks now. And so what about what the tanking was for, right? The 2022 NBA draft lottery. Well, the Wizards finished the regular season with the 10th best odds in the 2022 NBA draft lottery, although those odds could improve. Well, the Wizards have the opportunity to move into having the ninth best odds in the 2022 NBA draft lottery, depending on what happens with the San Antonio Spurs in the play-in tournament. So we are all Spurs fans for these next few days of the 10th best odds in the 2022 NBA draft lottery would give the Wizards a 3% chance of getting the number one pick in the 2022 NBA draft, and a 13.9% chance of getting a top four pick in the 2022 NBA draft. Uh, This ultimately ended up being a very disappointing season for the Wizards. I really can't emphasize that enough. The Wizards went a horrendous 25-44 and after their 10-3 start to the season. Uh, I mean, just a complete collapse by the Wizards. The Wizards' 10-3 and start was their best 13-game start to a regular season since the 1974-75 regular season. I loved so much of what we saw from the Wizards during that 10-3 and start, especially their defense, and the Wizards' season ended up completely falling apart, uh, due in no small part to infighting that led to the team trading away Montrez Harrell and Spencer Dinwiddie and Davies Bertans. You know, this Wizards team initially looked so different from the many disappointing Wizards teams of seasons past. And then instead, this Wizards team ended up being just like so many disappointing Wizards teams of seasons past in terms of playing bad defense and in terms of having 
all kinds of internal problems. Uh, there's going to be a lot to talk about with this Wizards offseason, including, of course, Bradley Beal and him pretty clearly being on the verge of opting out of his contract and the Wizards pretty clearly then either signing and trading him or just re-signing him to a super max contract. Uh, the Wizards figure to need to add a true point guard. Uh, the Wizards very much need to get better defensively. Uh, how many times has that been said over the years? About uh, 10,000 times, it feels like. Kristaps uh, Porzingis did play well for the Wizards once he started playing for them off being acquired by them on NBA trade deadline day on February 10th. But there very much remains the bigger picture question of where exactly are the Wizards going? I mean, I will say that a nucleus of Bradley Beal, Kristaps Porzingis, and Kyle Kuzma, if everyone is healthy, has potential but the question is potential for what, you know? Because it feels like the potential maxes out at a regular season win total in the upper 40s, which is not awful, obviously, but also which is an NBA championship caliber. And being NBA championship caliber, in theory anyway, should be the goal here. Uh, so Wizards president and general manager Tommy Shepard has a lot of work to do. Uh, Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. has a lot to prove of his team falling apart as this season went on. And we, as Wizards fans, are right back to where we have been oh so many times over the years. As Stephen A. Smith once said, The damn Washington Wizards! Well, it wasn't easy, but it did finally happen. The Nationals on Sunday afternoon avoided a season-opening four-game sweep and got themselves their first win of the 2022 MLB regular season. And so, Davey Martinez, if you would please. I'm proud of the boys. Yes, Davey! You should be proud of your boys. The Nats won on Sunday afternoon. And to be honest with you, I wasn't sure when we were going to be able to say that this season. Uh, the Nats overcame a 2-1 eighth inning deficit. Three runs in the bottom of the eighth for a 4-2 win over the New York Mets at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon. This was off three consecutive Nats losses to the Mets at Nationals Park to begin the season. A 5-1 loss on Thursday night, a 7-3 loss on Friday night, and a 5-0 loss on Saturday night. So the Nats are 1-3. Uh, this overall was not a good series for the Nats. Okay, let's make that clear. You know, the crowds for these games at Nationals Park uh, weren't exactly the greatest. Friday night announced attendance of just 25,677. Saturday night announced attendance of just 21,000. 369. Sunday afternoon announced attendance of just 23,158. Uh, now look, the weather, especially on Friday night, was not great for this series. Uh, by the way, we also on Friday night had the start of the game delayed by 14 minutes due to a field light power outage at Nationals Park. That was odd, uh, but still some not so stellar attendance numbers 
for the Nats over the weekend. You know, the onus is on the Nats to give fans reason to come to the ballpark this season off a 97 loss regular season and off very low expectations for this season. Uh, the Nats offense in this series was brutal, okay? Uh, the Nats scored a total of just eight runs over the four games, including just four runs over the first three games, but it was good to see the Nats do as they did on Sunday afternoon and win. Uh, the hero of the game for the Nats was Nelson Cruz. Uh, Cruz was an ad starting DH and number three batter in all four games in the series. He really did not do much over the first three games in the series, but Cruz on Sunday afternoon was great. Bottom of the first, he smashed a two-out solo homer to left center field off Met starter Carlos Carrasco. The homer winner projected 403 feet per stat cast. And then Cruz in the Nats' three-run eighth, a huge hit, a bases-loaded two-out, two-run, seeing-eye single up the middle for a 4-2 Nats lead. Uh, speaking of that Nats' three-run eighth on Sunday afternoon, how about the bunt by Lucius Fox? If you watch the game, you know of what I speak. The bunt by Lucius Fox one of the highlights, heck, for some people, maybe the highlight of the game. So Lucius Fox is a guy who the Nats claimed off waivers from the Orioles this past November 30th. Fox on Sunday afternoon was the Nats starting shortstop and number eight batter off Alcides Escobar, having not done much offensively as the Nats starting shortstop in each of the first three games of the series. And Fox in that Nats three-run eighth inning with runners at the corners, no outs, and the Nats trailing 2-1 put down a beautiful bunt on a successful safety squeeze play on which pinch runner D. Strange Gordon scored from third base to tie the game at two. A tremendous play right there. I mean, that was textbook execution of the safety squeeze by the Nats. The bunt by Fox was picture perfect. You know, also from Fox on Sunday afternoon was a great defensive play for the first out in the top of the second as Fox on the border of the infield dirt in the outfield grass made a diving stab of a hard hit Pete Alonso grounder. And then Fox from his knees fired to first base for the out. Uh, the biggest bright spot for the Nats in this series was their defense. You know, the Nats offense in the series was bad. The Nats starting pitching in the series was bad. The Nats bullpen in the series was mixed, but the Nats defense in the series was outstanding. A number of impressive plays. Take, for example, Cesar Hernandez. Uh, he was an ad starting second baseman and number one batter in all four games in the series. He did not do much at all offensively, but he made multiple quality defensive plays. Hernandez on Sunday afternoon in the top of the first while playing in shallow right field in a shift made a really nice spinning stab of a hard hit grounder by Robinson Cano and then threw to first for the third out. Uh, take, for example, Lane Thomas. So he was an ad starting left fielder in game games one and three in the series. Thomas in the 5 nothing loss to the Mets on Saturday night, 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. So a rough night for Thomas at the plate, but he made two really good defensive plays. Thomas in the top of the third made a nice running and leaping catch of a Brandon Nimmo fly ball on the warning track for the first out. Thomas in the top of the eighth made a nice hopping backhanded catch of a Luis Guillorme fly ball in left field foul territory near the barrier and then threw out Travis Jankowski in his attempt to advance to third base on a tag up. So good defense by the Nats in this series. Uh, Juan Soto. Uh, so he was an Nats starting right fielder and number two batter in all four games in the series. He did have two singles on Saturday night. Otherwise did not do much over the final three games in the series off having the solo homer and the walk in the 5-1 loss on Thursday night. The Nats player who had the best series of anyone uh, really was Josh Bell. Uh, Bell was an Nats starting first baseman and number four batter in all four games in the series. He in the series went four for 13 with a homer, three singles, two walks, 
and a hit by pitch. Uh, Bell was quite good in the 7-3 loss to the Mets on Friday night. One for three with a two-run homer and a hit by pitch and a nice defensive play. Uh, Bell made a great defensive play to begin the top of the third as he chased down this, like, excuse me single by Mark Canna down the right field line in foul territory, then made a sliding pickup of the baseball, and then fired the baseball to shortstop Alcides Escobar at second base, where Cannon was tagged out. Uh, and then Bell, in the Nats' two-run fourth inning, smashed a two-run homer to the second deck in right field off. Yes, the X-Nats, the Mets' starting pitcher for the game, Max Scherzer, and on a 1-2 pitch to tie the game at three. Uh, that was some homer by Bell, winner projected 443 feet for StatCast. Uh, Bell in the 4-2 win over the Mets on Sunday afternoon in the bottom of the first had a two-out single to right field despite having been down in the count at 1.12. Bell in the bottom of the seventh threw a one-out seven-pitch walk despite having been down in that count at 1.12. Although he then got caught trying to steal second base for the third out in the inning and he was out by a mile. You know, it was revealed after the game that Bell was running on his own um, okay, uh, that was not the greatest decision. You know, Josh Bell is uh, not exactly Billy Hamilton in terms of speed. I did not like Bell running in that circumstance. But still, overall, Josh Bell, good series for the Nats. Otherwise, though, uh, not much happening for the Nats offensively in this series. Michael Franco was the Nats starting third baseman and number seven batter in all four games in the series. He in the series went one for 13 with no walks, although the one hit that he had was a big hit on Sunday afternoon. Franco in that Nats three-run eighth inning had a first pitch single up the middle. Uh, Victor Robles was a Nats starting center fielder at number nine batter in games one, three, and four in the series. He went 0 for 8 with no walks, uh, although Robles on Saturday night, two good defensive plays. Top of the third, terrific running and leaping catch of a Pete Alonso liner on the warning track for the third out. Top of the sixth, a nice leaping catch on the warning track of a deep first pitch flyout by Brandon Nimmo. For the second out, uh, the one game in the series in which Robles was not the Nats starting center fielder, game two had D. Strange Gordon as an Nats starting center fielder. He went 0 for 3 with two strikeouts, but he had a good defensive play, an impressive outfield assist for the third out in the Mets' two run fourth. He made a great no hop throw to catcher Kate Barrett Ruiz to get Robinson Cano added home off a two out single by Tomas Nito. So more good defense for the Nats. I really can't emphasize that enough. The Nats defense in this series was really good. Uh, as for the Nats starting pitching in the series, uh, well, the good news is that the Nats on Sunday afternoon got their best outing from a starting pitcher in this season opening series. The bad news is that the bar was quite low. So Patrick Corbin in the 5-1 loss to the Mets on Thursday night lasted for just four innings. He allowed two runs. Josiah Gray in game two got off to a great start but then fell apart. Uh, Gray in the 7-3 loss to the Mets on Friday night. Four runs in four innings. He gave up eight hits, a homer, a triple, two doubles, and four singles. He issued two walks. He did have five strikeouts, but he threw 80 pitches over his four innings. He retired the first six batters who he faced, four via strikeout, uh, but then Gray in the top of the third gave up a one-out solo homer to Jeff McNeil to right field on uh, what was McNeil's 30th birthday. Uh, Gray allowed two runs in the top of the fourth, and then Gray had more struggles in a Mets one-run fifth during which he faced two batters and gave up two extra base hits, a leadoff triple to Brandon Nimmo despite him having been down to the count at 1.02, and then an RBI double to Starling Marte down the left field line for a 4-3 Mets lead. Joanna uh, Doan was an ad starting pitcher in Game 3. He flirted with danger and then fell apart. Uh, Adone in the 5-0 loss to the Mets on Saturday night. Four runs in four and the third innings. He gave up four hits, including a grand slam 
and three singles. He had all kinds of control problems. He issued four walks, a hit by pitch, and two wild pitches. Uh, He recorded three strikeouts. He threw 86 pitches, 47 strikes versus 39 balls. Now, his velocity was good. His fastball topped out at 95.4 miles per hour. He also began his outing by tossing four scoreless innings, though he did not have one clean inning during that stretch. And then things just completely fell apart in the top of the fifth, during which he gave up four runs, the big blow, Adone giving up a one-out grand slam to Pete Alonso on a towering blast to left field for a 4-0 Mets lead. And so all of that brought us to Sunday afternoon when Eric Fetty was an at starting pitcher and he ended up giving the Nats their only outing from a starting pitcher in the series of at least five innings. Uh, Fetty in the 4-2 win over the Mets on Sunday afternoon, two runs in five innings. Uh, he had five strikeouts versus two walks. He allowed five hits, a homer, a double, and three singles. He threw 87 pitches, 54 strikes, versus 33 balls. He began his outing with three scoreless innings. He then, in the top of the fourth, gave up two runs, uh, gave up a leadoff homer to Francisco Lindor to right field, gave up a two-out full count double to Eduardo Escobar, issued a two-out five-pitch walk of Dominic Smith, and then gave up a two-out RBI single to Mark Cannon, despite him having been down to the count at 1.12. But Fetty then remained in the game and ended up tossing a scoreless top of the fifth. So Fetty did follow the pattern of previous Nat starting pitchers in this series of starting off well and then struggling, but Fetty then rebounded. He ultimately wasn't great, but he was good, and he at least lasted for five innings, and that is the Osolo bar for Nat starting pitching in 2022. So thumbs up to Eric Fetty, all things considered, with what he did on Sunday afternoon. And so because Nat starting pitchers in the series struggled to give the team any kind of length, Davey Martinez in this series was using his bullpen a whole lot. You know, Davey used exactly five relievers in each of the first three games of the series, then used four relievers in the win on Sunday afternoon. Now, the Nats bullpen struggled in games one and two, but was good in games three and four. Uh, Five Nats relievers on Friday night combined to allow three runs in five innings. You know, we had controversy on Friday night as Steve Ciszek in his Nats debut threw just two pitches and got ejected. Uh, He entered the game in the top of the fifth with a runner on second and no outs. His second pitch came up and in to Francisco Lindor, who was scoring to bunt the pitch, hit Lindor on his face and or batting helmet. Uh, This was off Nats pitchers having issued three hit-by pitches in game one of the series. And so Mets manager Buck Showalter started coming out of the field, was uh, apparently cursing at C-Shack. The dugouts and bullpens emptied. No punches were thrown or anything like that, but C-Shack ended up being ejected. You know, he clearly did not hit Lindor on purpose, but C-Shack was ejected for, according to the crew chief Mark Carlson, uh, what C-Shack did after hitting Lendor, i.e. Ciszek, according to Carlson, escalated the situation. Uh, also ejected, by the way, was an Nats third base coach, Gary DeSarcino. So we had that on Friday night, but we also had this on Friday night, Sean Doolittle coming into the game in relief of Ciszek and putting out the fire. You know, here we have Sean Doolittle, who has struggled in recent seasons. Now he's back for a second stint with the Nats. He, in his return appearance for the Nats, comes into this game top of the fifth, runners on first and second, nobody out, and Doolittle did a great job of getting out of the inning, got Pete Alonso out on a first pitch pop out, struck out Eduardo Escobar on four pitches, and then retired Robinson Cano on a full count ground out to second baseman Cesar Hernandez, who had a nice spinning stab and throw 
in shallow right field. Uh, then on Saturday night, the bullpen started really coming through as a whole. Uh, five Nats relievers on Saturday night combined to allow one run in four and two-thirds innings, so that was good. Kyle Finnegan, a perfect top of the six with two strikeouts and on just eight pitches, seven of which were strikes. Tanner Rainey tossed a scoreless top of the seventh with two strikeouts, uh, although a Nats reliever in this game did suffer an injury. Mason Thompson in the top of the eighth threw three pitches. He, after his third pitch, which was way off, was shaking his right arm. He then immediately got taken out of the game. It was a frightening scene because a lot of the time when you see a pitcher uh, throw a pitch that is errant and then he's shaking his arm, that can often mean that a serious injury has occurred. Like guys who end up needing Tommy John surgery will do something like that. Uh, Thompson was doing that on Saturday night. The good news is that this does for now appear to be a biceps ailment as opposed to an elbow ailment. The Nats on Sunday morning did place Thompson on the 10-day injured list, but labeled him as having a right bicep strain. And the corresponding roster move was the Nats recalling the former Orioles reliever Hunter Harvey from AAA Rochester. But then four Nats relievers on Sunday afternoon were lights out. Uh, A combined four scoreless innings with four strikeouts. Uh, Steve Ciszek, a scoreless top of the sixth. Now, he then began the top of the seventh and did struggle, uh, began the inning by issuing a leadoff five-pitch walk of Jeff McNeil, followed by giving up a first-pitch bunt single to Tomas Nito. Ciszek then got pulled from the game. Sean Doolittle again relieved Steve Ciszek and again put out the fire. Doolittle came into the game in the top of the seventh with runners on first and second and no outs, and Doolittle got out of the jam. He faced three batters, got three outs, including strikeouts of Brandon Nimmo and Robinson Cano on three pitches each. Uh, Kyle Finnegan then tossed a perfect top of the eighth, and Tanner Rainey then tossed a scoreless top of the ninth for the Nats' first save in the 2022 regular season. So very good series for Doolittle, Finnegan, and Rainey. Um, I'm not sure how long this can last if this Nats bullpen keeps being leaned on to the extent uh, that the bullpen is being leaned on right now, but good job by the Nats pen over the final two games in this series. Uh, This is a brutal season opening stretch for the Nats, 18 games in 18 days, and next up is a three-game series at the reigning defending World Series champion Atlanta Braves, who began their season by splitting a four-game series with the visiting Cincinnati Reds. Uh, game one for the Nats at the Braves, Monday night at 7.20. Anibal Sanchez was supposed to be the Nats' starting pitcher for the game, but he's dealing with a stiff neck. Josh Rogers would appear to be Sanchez's likely replacement, but whoever is the Nats' starting pitcher on Monday night, let us hope that he can last for more than four innings. All right, so the Nats are 1-3 of their first series of the 2022 regular season. The Orioles are 0-3 off their first series of the 2022 regular season as the O's got swept. Uh, The O's suffered a season-opening three-game sweep at the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Friday afternoon, a 2-1 loss. Saturday afternoon, a 5-3 loss. Sunday afternoon, an 8-0 loss. So each game got progressively worse for the Birds. Uh, the Orioles' offense in this series was brutal. Only a few Orioles did much of anything offensively in this series. Ryan Mountcastle definitely stood out. Uh, he was the Orioles' starting first baseman and number two batter in all three games in the series. He went five for 12 with a homer and four singles. But otherwise, not much happening for the Orioles offensively in this series. Four total runs over 
the three games. Uh, the Orioles starting pitching in the series was mostly not good. John Means in the Orioles season opening 2-1 loss at the Rays on Friday afternoon lasted for just four innings, during which he threw a staggering 84 pitches, 84 pitches to get through four innings. You know, the condensed spring training camps for major league teams did the starting pitchers no favors. You're seeing starting pitchers across all of baseball not lasting for very long to begin this season. Uh, but still, I mean, just four innings for John Means on Friday afternoon. Now, the results were far from terrible. Uh, he had 56 strikes versus 28 balls. He only gave up one run. He had five strikeouts versus one walk. He gave up six hits, but all of them were singles. So, you know, John Means wasn't awful or anything like that, but he did last for just the four innings. And then the starting pitching struggles really started for the O's in this series. Uh, Jordan Lyles in the Orioles' 5-3 loss at the Rays on Saturday afternoon. Five runs in five innings. Uh, he gave up a homer, a triple, a double, and four singles. He issued three walks. He recorded just two strikeouts. You know, Jordan Lyles is the quote-unquote prized free agent acquisition for the Orioles uh, since last season ended. The O's on March 12th officially announced the signing of Lyles as a free agent. One-year contract with a club option for 2023. This is Lyles' age 31 season. The O's are Lyles' seventh major league team. He pitched for the Texas Rangers the last two seasons and Lyles over the last two regular seasons for the Rangers, an ERA of 560. So not so good. Uh, and then Tyler Wells was the Orioles starting pitcher for the 8-0 loss at the Rays on Sunday afternoon in what was supposed to be a tandem start. Tyler Wells is being converted from a reliever to a starter and the idea with him initially here at least is for him to be the first pitcher in tandem starts. Well, the uh, tandem ended up not being nearly what it was supposed to be because Tyler Wells on Sunday afternoon lasted for just one and two-thirds innings. Uh, he allowed four runs in the one and two-thirds innings. All four runs came in the bottom of the second. So uh, very disappointing starting pitching for the O's in this series, especially over the final two games. Uh, if there was a pitching bright spot in the series, though, it was Keegan Aiken in game two. Keegan Aiken really shined as a reliever in the Orioles' 5-3 loss at the Rays on Saturday afternoon. Three scoreless innings with three strikeouts. He gave up just one hit, which was a single. He issued no walks. And how about this? Aiken threw 27 strikes versus just four balls. Uh, that's spectacular. You know, Keegan Aiken is one of many Orioles pitchers who has had a hard time finding himself. The O's took Aiken in the second round of the 2016 MLB draft out of Western Michigan University. This season is his age 27 season. Uh, he was brutal at the major league level last season. Uh, Aiken at the major league level in the 2021 regular season, 24 games, including 17 starts, 95 innings, an ERA of 663. Uh, he had all kinds of issues. Last season, Aiken was optioned to AAA Norfolk. He was recalled from AAA Norfolk. He spent time on the COVID-19 injured list. Uh, he ended up ending his season on the 10-day injured list with a left adductor strain. He did not pitch well, but he did do well as a reliever on Saturday afternoon. It's one outing, but hey, if that's how Keegan Aiken has to be used to be effective, at this point, you take what you can get from a pitching standpoint with the Orioles. Uh, some more on Orioles pitching. So guess who is back? in the Orioles organization. Matt Harvey. Yes, Matt Harvey is back with the O's. Uh, the Orioles on Friday afternoon announced that they had agreed on a minor league contract with Matt Harvey. Now, this is not a shocking development. It had been reported 
that the O's were in talks with Matt Harvey. The Orioles executive vice president and general manager, uh, Mike Elias, had confirmed that the O's were in discussions with Matt Harvey. Uh, This season would be his age 33 season. The O's first signed Harvey in February 2021 to a minor league contract. You know, Harvey actually began the 2021 regular season as the number two starter in the Orioles rotation. He initially was pretty good for the O's last season, but then he ended up not being pretty good for the O's. And Harvey ultimately in the 2021 regular season in 28 starts had an ERA of 627. The most amazing thing about Matt Harvey's 2021 regular season with the O's is that he made 28 starts, but he still didn't qualify for MLB leaderboards because he only totaled 127 and two-thirds innings. His 627 ERA was worse than the 582 ERA of the Nationals' Patrick Corbin, but Corbin for the 2021 regular season had the worst ERA among qualified pitchers in the majors because Matt Harvey was a non-qualified pitcher in the majors, even though he made 28 starts. That tells you all you need to know about how ineffective ultimately Matt Harvey was last season, although Harvey last season did have some good stretches, including a career-best scoreless streak of 21 and two-thirds innings during the summer of 2021. So it was an odd season for Harvey. Uh, The O's last September 9th placed Harvey on the 10-day injured list with right knee inflammation, and he did not pitch again the rest of the season. Now, the Matt Harvey story by now is well known. Uh, He was a megastar for the New York Mets in 2012, 2013, 2015, but his career since has fallen apart. October 2013, he underwent Tommy John surgery. July 2016, he underwent surgery to address thoracic outlet syndrome. Harvey, from 2018 through 2020, pitched for a bunch of teams. The Mets, the Cincinnati Reds, the Los Angeles Angels, the Kansas City Royals. Uh, The results for Harvey over these last six seasons, 2016 through 2021, are not good. And then there is what happened with Harvey this past offseason. A Texas jury in February found former Los Angeles Angels communications director Eric Kay guilty of having provided Angels pitcher Tyler Skaggs with the drugs that led to the death of Skaggs in 2019. Kay was found guilty by a 12-person jury on two counts, distribution of controlled substances resulting in death and conspiracy to possess with intent to distribute controlled substances. Uh, Tyler Skaggs died in a hotel room in Dallas on July 1st, 2019. He was just 27. An autopsy report found that he had fentanyl, oxycodone, and alcohol in his system. So Matt Harvey testified during this Eric K. trial. Uh, Harvey had played for the Angels, and Harvey in his testimony revealed that he had provided opioids to Tyler Skaggs on several occasions. Uh, Now, Harvey received immunity from the government in order to testify. Harvey also, in his testimony, acknowledged that he had used cocaine. So there may well be a suspension coming for Matt Harvey, not so much for the cocaine use, but for him having admitted to having provided opioids to Tyler Skaggs who now is dead. So we'll see. I mean, I don't know realistically how much Matt Harvey is going to be able to contribute to the O's at the major league level 
this season, but obviously there's an expectation that he might be able to contribute some. And as I said with Matt Harvey last season, I'll say it again right now, uh, Matt Harvey obviously is not some building block for the rebuilding Orioles, so if he can somehow pitch halfway decent for the O's at the major league level, 100% he could be a trade ship for the O's come the trade deadline, but we are a ways away from that because, like I said, a uh, real suspension here could be coming for Matt Harvey. We'll see. Next up for the O's, a three-game series against the Milwaukee Brewers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Game one, Monday afternoon at 3.05. Bruce Zimmerman will get the start in the home opener. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday's show, episode 290. We'll feature more on the Commanders, including more on Dwayne Haskins off his tragic death. I'm going to welcome on a special guest, Doug LaMaurice, a columnist for Cleveland.com, the co-host of the Buckeye Talk podcast and of the College Football Survivor Show podcast. Uh, Doug wrote a really good piece on Dwayne's legacy at Ohio State off his death. Uh, Also on Tuesday's show, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles. The Nats on Monday night at 7.20 will begin a three-game series at the Atlanta Braves. The O's on Monday afternoon at 3.05 will begin a three-game series with the Milwaukee Brewers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards as the Orioles on Monday afternoon will play their regular season home opener. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. With the 15th pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the Washington Redskins select Dwayne Haskins. (laughs) 